Welcome everyone, we are about to begin Be'ezus Hashem, Feedbacks and Insights number 28, email address shalombayas777 at gmail.com. We're going to talk about here the limits on being a vatran. Vatran means to overlook or to concede, and, um, you know, and, and which is a, usually a very good midah. There's an Indian to be marval midaisav, you know, when someone is um, wrong or maybe wrong and you overlook things. And it says that if you overlook uh, things that were done against you and you're Michael and you overlook it, Hashem will overlook your chatoim. So there's a lot of tremendous milas of overlooking things, being a vatran. But what's very important to know is that there are limits to that midah. And it was emphasized a lot by the Chazaynish when it comes to disagreements among couples. And first he said that the goal is not to discover which one is right. It's not important in most cases who is right and who is not right. Rather, it's important to get into an open discussion to to figure out where is the easiest middle road of being mevater and making that pshara. And that is where there's a chiv to be mavater. So and if you use being mavater in that aspect, it makes sense that he should be mavater. Um, so an example, if a couple is buying a couch and they both disagree on the color, right? I want this color and he, I, the other one wants that color. So it's not a matter of right and wrong really here. They have to talk it over openly about their preferences. So, and here's an example. If the husband prefers brown, a brown couch, but would be okay with the blue, and his wife loves blue and hates brown, that makes sense to get the blue couch. So, in other words, it's not a matter of right or wrong in in many instances of being Mavata, just finding that middle ground. Now, if one of the party, in the, like the case I just gave, where um, the husband has a preference, but the second preference would be okay, I'll live with it. It's not the end of the world. Uh, I'm not thrilled about it, but but it's okay. While the other one really has difficulty with it, with that second option, then you agree on getting that. And, and the, in this case, the husband is mevater. Because even as the second choice of the of the blue that his wife wants, he's not, um, against it, you know, he just doesn't not not thrilled about it. So there's a Yid Rabbi Yitzchak Lenoritz, and he uh, brings this Chazaynish, and he also talks about parents and Menchanchem, and this is very important. It's important that they sh- it's not healthy for a particular child or stu- student to always be mavater. And it's not a healthy thing. As much as a great midah it is, it's not healthy because what happens is is that this particular uh, easygoing child or easygoing Talmud, now the parents may be thrilled about it. This kid, you know, Baruch Hashem, you know, the other kids are, 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 have issues and this and that. And this, this kid is always smiling and always, um, you know, when no one wants to do the job, he is mevater and he does all the jobs. And they're very happy with this child that he has such good midas, and he's mevater, and he gets things done, and he doesn't complain about it. And the chanchen, when they see a Talmud like that, 
they love him too because having such a Talmud or such a child removes a lot of these machlekes and that could happen. If no one's mavater, let's say you have a bunch of little kids, you know, different ages or whatever it is and no one wants to clean up, you have a big, big machlekes. When you have this particular one child who they crown, he's the prince of Vitter, you know. He, 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 he's always mavater. So the parents have that headache off their head. That's the one that's going to take the brunt of things and do whatever, swallow their whatever it is, and do what they need to do, and they do it outwardly with a smile, and they're thrilled. But the problem with this Hanhaga is that the child very often internally feels the pressure that they always have to live up to that reputation of always being the mavater, always being the quote-unquote tzaddik, and um, he will try to convince himself that he's doing it baratzain, but internally, very often, there's a resentment of being taken advantage of. He may not articulate it to the parent. He may not even articulate it consciously to himself. But that could create a tremendous amount of emotional damage. So as beautiful as it seems externally, you know, you, that, that you have a child or a Talmud that is extreme in their ability and their willingness to be mavater and be selfless, you have to really keep an eye on that child. Um, because in real life, it's not a matter of being negative, but unless you're dealing with very few neshamas in this world, uh, you know, those tzaddikim that were born and at two years of age they knew a whole shas, and then at five years of age they, they whatever, um, and they made brachas before they nursed from their mother, you know, with kavana, and the, and the bar nefashis afterwards too. But besides those... Um, you know, uh, characters that uh, either existed or didn't exist. But the bottom line is, is that the Vatranis and Sterling Midas like that, the parent and the Mechanach needs to keep an eye on this child because it's sometimes not healthy to take this Vatranis to an extreme. And no matter how great Shalom is and Shalom Bias is, and we talk about having peace at any price, but there is a price, and you have to speak, of course, to G'daylam, and you need to speak to the proper people. But peace at any price is very unhealthy. It can be even dangerous. Rabbi ben and Saratskin brings down, obviously, a historical case of it when you had, um, um, at the beginning of World War II, um, that uh, Prime Minister of um, England at that point, Neville Chamberlain, tried to appease Nazi Germany and Hitler before World War II by giving them Czechoslovakia, you know? And so he was like, like peace at all costs. And it doesn't work with, with uh, animals like Hitler. So it's not healthy to have a, a peace at all costs. And same thing with marriage. If it only it's extremely one-sided where one of the parties is extremely selfish and always selfish, and the other one is always just absorbing it and taking that abuse and just holding up the fort, it's not a healthy dynamic. It's not healthy, not just for the one that is taking advantage, it's not healthy for the one who is being mavater all the time. And um, it creates, ultimately, a tremendous period. And it can't be swept under the rug, it has to be dealt with. And sometimes you have to place limits and say, I can't be mavater on this. Because true shalom bias is not when one is demanding always and the other one is mavater always. 
True Shalom bias is when a couple successfully bridges their differences. And there's going to be differences. There's always differences. That's what the Ali Shur says, Rabbi Wolba, Chelek Aleph, Patriation Umches. He says, Shalom bias lo nikra shalom nisganu Shalom bias does not mean that there's no differences. This concept of not having opposition at all and not having conflict at all that only exists prior to the couple knowing each other and prior to the couple getting to become close to one another by the very nature of the fact that they're two different people that need to get close to each other and learn about each other and respect each other and become one in that process, they're going to see their differences. As the Lushen of the Aleishor Eloshen is Galu Hanigudim, as you try to get closer and become one, these differences will be revealed. And what's the kunz? What do you need to do? And they become successful. To, to make a, you know, to bridge, to make a bridge between the two of them. And, um, so, so Saraskin says that a Talmud of, of, of the Ali Shur described how the husband, who is as set as his, at his wife, avoids saying anything when they are getting along well, because you don't want to break the mood. So he waits until he's tense and nervous in a grouchy mood anyway. So he figures, now I'm in a bad mood anyway, I'm in a resentful mood, now I'm going to say what was bothering me. People do this a lot, by the way. And that's not the healthy thing. If, let's say, you, you, there is a real difference that they need to talk about, it's important to talk about, you don't say, okay, this is not, you know, we're, we're both pleasant mood, we're pleasant to each other, why break the mood? Adarabha, now is the time to discuss it because you're both in a calm, decent mood and you speak to each other respectfully, you'll learn to communicate. And even if there's a difference, they both have the calmness and sense of mind to work it through. While if the, if the husband or wife makes no difference who it is, says, now, you know, why rock the boat right now? And then what happens is, is there's a point where they're both in a bad mood, they're upset, and now they're going to bring it up. But now there's no tayelis, because it just brings just bitterness. There's, there's no point in it right now. And, and then, then when you're angry at one thing, and then you get upset about it, and then you, you, get, you, you throw the whole... Uh, uh, you know, kitchen list, uh, uh, grocery list of all these grievances that are, that are that are usually very trivial. So um, that's very important thing to know that when um, they're in a good mood and they're calm and they're getting along well, but there is a difference between the two of them, and they need to address it. They should address it, and they learn to address it with a calmness. And um, what's interesting is that they had a research in um, one of these universities of newlywed couples that they studied, and they showed that a couple who argued relatively little were happier than the combative ones. But when the same couples were checked three years later, it came out the opposite, that the ones that were in the beginning, like fighting, I'm not talking about being mean and nasty or things like that, but they were like disagreeing a lot in the early part of their marriage. 
Later, three years later, they found a stability point in their marriage where now they're very happy and they learn to adapt to their differences. While the early couples who earlier prided themselves of always being, you know, b'shalayim um, and never, you know, um, bringing up anything unpleasant, and three years later, they're in troubled relationships, and some of them led to divorce. What's the svara behind this? It's the opposite of what we think. The answer is, is as follows, is that when a couple is healthy and they both are independent, they have their own needs, but they also love each other and they want to give to each other. So it's natural as they want to get close to each other. There's obviously going to be differences in personality, differences in preferences, and they're going to disagree a lot in the beginning when they see these differences and they're going to work it through. So in the beginning, they may get into some um, you know, arguments about things, but they'll work it through during the first early years in marriage till they get to the point where they make these compromises and now they know each other very well and they're well, very well adjusted and, and then it works you know, beautifully as they go along and they get better and better at it and there's a stability, there's also a communication level where they know when they have differences, they know how to deal with it. While the couple who were pride themselves on never mentioning anything and always being levater and not expressing what they really want and need to each other in the beginning, and because they're afraid to, and they don't rock the boat, and, you know, externally, hello, good morning, how are you, thank you, but internally, they're upset about this and this and the other thing, sooner or later, it deteriorates. So it's very, very important to know that, and because it could be unpleasant. You know, I know myself, I'm very often when I know I should be a little more assertive about something, and I'm not because I don't want to rock the boat, or I don't want to, you know, why bring, you know, it's, I'll be mavater. So I have to gauge myself. If it's something that's a minor thing, like the case of the example we get, if the, if the wife says, I want to buy a brown couch, and you and your brain says, I don't really want a brown couch, but I prefer a different color couch, but I'm okay with the brown couch. So then it's no big deal. But a lot of times in life, there are larger issues. So in those larger issues, the vitter to just be mavater may not be the right move. The right move may be to just open up to your husband or wife and say, I know you like it this way, but that really bothers me. I prefer it this way, and let me explain why. Could we work something out? And that's the healthier way to approach it. And um, another thing about peace at all costs, is, which is not healthy, is if one of the spouses is constantly and relentlessly being critical all the time, and the other spouse is being subjected to that criticism all the time. And sometimes, let's say, I'll give you the muscle, could go either way, as I said many times, but let's say the husband's the one who's being very critical all the time, unreasonably, relentlessly critical, and the wife has this short-sighted approach that will fail, by saying, I will always be mavater, do exactly what my husband wants in every instance, because I want peace at all costs. And the problem is, is that the, the, the children are the carbonists here, very often. When one is abusive and the other one just takes everything, the, the children pay the deepest price. They see this behavior, and it causes them emotional damage. Um... And it's very, very important. You know, we'll talk a different time about how 
marital disharmony and arguments between a husband and a wife create tremendous trauma for the children. And we're going to discuss that aspect. It's important, by the way, even if, God forbid, it should never happen, where there is divorce on the horizon, and let's say even the, they, they spoke to Rabbanim and marriage counselors and whatever it is, and they decide that's the route that has to be taken, it's very important for both of them to mutually agree to work on whatever behaviors that they have to do. Whatever they have to do, they have to do, but work on those behaviors to make it in, 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 in the best possible situation that the children aren't adversely affected because they get tremendously traumatized by, by that. Another reason shalom at all costs doesn't work is if, let's say, one of the spouses is verbally abusing a child in a very serious way, the other spouse has a chiv to speak up and get that help to prevent that child from being a victim of that abuse. And um, that's very, very important. And um, we'll end off saying like this, and Ratzin Tzaraskin brings this from, the, from Rav Shach, that Rav Shach was very much what we discussed all the in the beginning, the idea of vitter. Rabbeinu Hechshev Adma Oides HaVitter. He honored the idea of being Mavater very, very much. Because that Maila, Maila's do, who Mifteach Lechol Hamidais Taivais Kulam. That mida is a key to all midas taivas. It's a good thing, in generally speaking, to be mavater, to let things go. But he warns, never it should never feel like a sacrifice. Once you think you're being a carbon, then it's not healthy. So ulam hulay savar, he held ki aviter. Never look at Vitter that that's the price you have to pay in order to get good Midas. No. Vitter only works if you really, really have Hana and you feel good inside, for real. There's a pleasure in being the Mevater. Very often, though, you know, and the husband and wife, when they get close enough to each other, and they work on each other, they could reach this point. They could reach the point that they love each other so much that when they give up for one another, they don't feel any resentment. They're truly happy. That's Ganeidin. That's Mamish Ganeidin. And the Halavai, we should all reach that. And that's a goal to try to reach. They could talk about that and try to reach that. So, again, the title of the the subject is the dangers of excessive vatranas, excessive concessions, but everyone needs to know the idea of being the vater is a tremendously great mida. But when the situation is not ideal, when you're dealing with less than perfect people, which is most of us, and most of us, if we're mevater on major things, we tend to be resentful, or if only one of the couple has this ideal towards Vitter, while the other one doesn't have this ideal at all. So there's an imbalance in this Vitter dynamic. That too is not healthy. And it's very, very important to know about this balance and to use it 
properly. And this is connected to what we what we said in the previous feedback shiurim as well that there has to be this healthy balance of that again we talked about nesina in the earlier feedbacks the idea of giving and not receiving and we're talking here about vatranis of overlooking and conceding and both of these midas are beautiful midas they're midas to strive for and to attain and try to get to but we both we all need to know that there are limits to it, and if you go overboard with it, it could cause damage. So we explained in the previous feedbacks with Nesina, you still have to express your needs when you want a particular type of meal, or you want a particular thing a certain way, and, and you really feel it's important, you need to express that, and don't feel guilty that you're not giving at that moment, where you need to express a real need that you really have. Again, be open about it, don't be stubborn about it, but to actually express it is healthy. And you allow your husband to do things for you. And you allow, allow your wife to do things for you. And the same thing here with Vatranis, with conceding. It's a beautiful, beautiful Mida. And if a husband and wife make it a goal to overlook each other's faults and be happy about the fact that they're doing that, they don't look at themselves like they're a carbon or they're a Nebuch. Or they're, oh, oh, like, poor me that I have to, or a moister nefesh. This can't be looked at as a mysterious nefesh. Because then there's a little resentment there. If one person is always the one demanding and criticizing and all that, and the other one is always being mavater, and they're, quote-unquote, being a carbon, and they're being moister nefesh for the children, or moister nefesh for themselves, or for shalom bias, that's not healthy. They should, if they're not sure, they ask a shayla. But sometimes they need to, in an assertive way, and a yashistic way, put their foot down and express it. When one of them is always demanding and always critical, that the other one puts their foot down and say, loy mitan aleph, this is not going to be this way. And to create some healthy limits to those ideas of being a vatran, conceding to the other person, when the Torah really dictates that you shouldn't do so. So um, these are important counterbalances to the regular inyanim of Shalom Bayis, Saida inyan of Nesina, which is a beautiful midah in and of itself, Saida inyan of Atronis, which again is a beautiful midah in and of itself, to realize that there are limitations and balances to it that need to be learned and developed, and you daven for it, and you work through it, and then... Hashem will bezes Hashem give each couple the siyata de shmaya to experience the true healthy giving and the true healthy idea of being mevater in the most beautiful way. Have a wonderful day.